Well, um, I have uh, I have an uncle, and uh, this would be the Uncle Gordy uh, that some of you have heard me talk about. And Uncle Gordy uh, was about as straight-laced as you could come, but he had such a thirst for adventure. And uh, he was the son of a, a Danish immigrant. Uh, and when they got to the United States, he loved what the world offered. He was born in 1929. And uh, I remember hearing Uncle Gordy's stories. Um, he was never one to step out of line. In fact, he was a teetotaler. He, he grew up in the church and every time the church doors were open. But he described these adventures that he would go on. And I just, they're unimaginable to me. So um, I remember uh, him describing the story that as a teenager, he finished high school, but he wanted to see the United States, but he didn't have any money. His dad was a construction worker and he ended up becoming a carpenter and then a general contractor. And Uncle Gordy was the one who I worked construction with when I was in college as well. But he began this journey with a cousin to go across the United States, hitchhiking. Hitchhiking and jumping in boxcars along moving trains. And when they couldn't get a ride and get to where they needed to be, they would split up because it was always easier to catch a ride uh, with someone else if you were solo than if you were paired up. And, um, and so this was obviously before the time, this would have probably been in the uh, mid to late 40s. So they split up and um, they're like, let's just meet in this city in like three days and we'll just try and work our way there. Well, he says, I caught a ride on the back of a motorcycle. And, um, and so I was just happy to get a ride because he was going in my direction. And um, when I got to the city, or actually before we got to the city, um, we got pulled over. And this guy, turns out, he was wanted by the law. And, and so Uncle Gordy ends up in police custody trying to explain that he doesn't actually know this guy. Uh, I mean, this seems like something right out of a movie. And he was able to talk his way out of it going, look it, I'm just hitchhiking across the country. I'm with my cousin. We got a ride. I don't know this man, whatever he's wanted for. In another adventure, after he finishes seeing the, the states on hitchhiking and, and hiking and jumping on trains, he wanted to see the world. And Uncle Gordy became a really profound um, sailor, but he joined uh, these ships as just a deckhand, cargo ships and whatnot, and he would go around the country. And when he realized that the ship wasn't going to continue in the direction, he would even jump ship. So he would be in places like Tahiti or some far off place. And as the ship is like starting board, he would jump off ship and just figure out another way to keep going because he just wanted to see the world. And I just look at his experience growing up was so profoundly different than my own. Not only my own as um, someone who loves to travel, someone who loves other cultures, but as a parent, I would never allow my kid to go off and do this. But the reason I set this up is because one of the greatest metaphors we have for faith is the metaphor of journey. And the journey can be profoundly exciting and profoundly heartbreaking. But journey is the greatest metaphor for faith that we have. And here's the thing about journey. It's both an event and a process. It includes highs and lows. Um, 
it's about, and in some cases, it's about discovering friendship. Other times, it's about building memories. Other times, it's about deepening our faith. Eugene Peterson um, wrote a book about 20 years ago, and um, it's a profound book. I love it. Uh, and you might be familiar with it, but in the book, and it's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a book about Christian spiritual formation. So for those of us who have made Christ Lord of our lives, who began a journey with Christ by saying yes, then you realize, whoa, this is, this is an adventure. He describes that Christians are both disciples uh, and pilgrims. And a disciple, he would describe as one who spends their lives apprenticing under the master rabbi Jesus. And when we think of apprenticing, don't think of it as necessarily a classroom learning, like you're taking notes and reading books. Think about it as being tutored under a master craftsman or being under a master artist. Now, it's how, this is what a disciple is. Discipleship is how one acquires the skills for faithful living. He would go on to say that a pilgrim suggests that we are people who spend our whole lives going someplace, going to God, on whose path for getting there is the way of Jesus. Now, Eugene Peterson was actually quoting Frederick Nietzsche. And he said, the essential thing, this is Nietzsche, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction, which is the only way to produce fruit and make one's life worth living. Eugene Peterson picks up on that phrase of what it means to grow Christian faith. And he says, this is really about long obedience in the same direction. Most of us are addicted to quick hits and, and, and early returns and, and sort of uh, impulse living. We, we love um, results right away. Well, Eugene Peterson would take a long view of that. And what he did in this book, and I've taught this before, but I was so encouraged when I began reading how he described it, is in Psalms 120 through 134, there's this package of a subset of psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent, or they're also referred to as pilgrim songs. See, we are all on a journey, but this journey didn't begin just in this epoch of time or in our personal lives. The people of God over 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, these were actual songs that the people of God would sing as they made their yearly pilgrimage for three annual festivals. Now, each psalm is a step in the journey. These 15 psalms were sung by Hebrew pilgrims as they went to Jerusalem for great worship festivals. And they were appearances before the Lord by the individual, but the pilgrimages were done as a whole community because faith was never something personal or private. It was always supposed to be 
collective. That's why the reading of the word wasn't so much about a personal quiet time. It was the corporate instruction. What is God saying to us as his people who are supposed to be the light of the world? These were times of both great joy and anticipation as they were most to, supposed to meet up with the Lord. Now, I would just simply ask this question. Do you have a destination that you return to every year, perhaps when you were growing up? Do you have that same pilgrimage or that same trip that you as a family would take? Maybe it was the family farm. Maybe it was you grew up and every summer you were going to go to the grandparents' house, or it was going to be returned to someone, some house for Christmas. Maybe it was a summer camp. Maybe it was a mountain cabin. Maybe it was the family ranch or a family reunion. See, I think we have sort of a reference point that most of us are familiar with returning to each year. And this is how it was for the people of God, except it was entirely built on their dedication, their seeking after God in a collective way. And so these kinds of trips were something that they would create with great anticipation. And so in the Psalms, these Psalms of Ascent, were part of how they would journey together. And so if you have your Psalms, I want to do a new series called Pilgrim's Progress. And what I'm describing as, as a fellow pilgrim, as a fellow disciple, as someone who's trying to make our salvation not just about an event we have or a fire we put out, but about a journey we're on together. And there is this really wonderful template out of the Psalms of Ascent. And so over the next several weeks, through our summer weeks, I want to go through each of these Psalms because I think they're really instructive for how we can journey together, but with Christ. So this series will feel much more like a Bible study. You're going to want to have your scripture open as I work through this passage. So either open an app or grab your Bible off the shelf, because I want you to see what I'm reading, and I want you to kind of um, reread, because I've been able to do a little bit of a deep dive through the, what these passages entail. And here's the other thing I love about Psalms. They're always emotional. Sometimes they're in joyful celebration, and sometimes they're in grief-filled anguish. We live in a time that we don't even understand how draining emotionally quarantine is. We live in a time where people don't know what to do with their anger, so they're destroying things. We don't know what to do in a time uh, of, of mistrust, and so we accuse any and everyone. The Psalms help us know what to do with God-given emotions. So in Psalm 121, I want to begin there. And the psalmist tells us that God is always watching over the people of God. In this case, God is watching over Israel. And it asks a question that I think is worth every question, Christian asking every morning, and it's this, where does my help come from? In fact, I could just close in prayer right now and end with the application that could you just begin every morning when you start brushing your teeth, when you start showering, when you are getting ready and eating breakfast, when you're on your morning commute, as you're logging on, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? 
And that's what this passage helps remind us of. Now, in Psalms, uh, it says this, and some of you might be familiar with this. It's a beautiful psalm, and it says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Well, my help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He will not uh, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. See, picture this. Wherever you're living in rural Israel, you're making a yearly pilgrimage with other people. Not everyone could go, but it would be a huge multitude. You will travel in mass with your people. And the psalm, psalmist looks with some anxiety over the hills of Palestine. Now, typically, people would have made the pilgrimage in groups for safety purposes because you were always vulnerable along the roads. And if you were alone, you were going to be even more vulnerable to thieves and robbers. Now, the hills provided cover for the thieves. Imagine you're taking this journey by foot with your friends, and you're looking around, and you're like, I think it's safe, but I feel safer because I'm not alone. But you're singing out this anthem of, of where does my help come from? And so my question is, is what if every day we had a song on our heart that said, where does my help come from? Now, the first thing we see in any faith journey, and this is the, the, the sort of mandate and the critical importance of a faith community, is there's safety in numbers. Community, intentional, spiritually focused community is 100% needed. Welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. I need you as much as I think you need us. But as the worshipers would approach Jerusalem, they would see the hillside of these mounds and mountains running all around them. And what they would see is in ancient times, those hills were used as, quote, high places for altars of pagan deities. And Palestine was overrun with pagan worship. And much of the religion was based on the hilltops. They would set up shrines and, and there would be groves of trees that would be planted. There would be sacred prostitutes who provided, um, uh, were also provided. And people were lured to these altars on high places to engage in acts that would somehow sold on the idea it would enhance the fertility of their land or it would make them feel good or it would protect them from evil. But what Psalms 121 says, it says no. It rejects worship of circumstance or of nature. Instead, it looks to the Lord who made heaven and earth. And help comes from the creator, not the creation. And the creator is always awake. See, God sees what's happening in our world and in our country today in 2020. And he's not somehow anxious about it, and he's not somehow surprised by it. He sees. 
Now, Jerusalem was an elevated city. So looking to the mountains is also this notion that I'm looking out for divine help. But there's lots of other things that people are getting help from. And I think as, as normal people who get busy, discouraged, and distracted, we have to confront or remind ourselves of the, of the altars that you and I seek. Does our help come from the altar of Washington, D.C.? I hope not. But if we get so worked up over getting the right person in office, I think we're missing the creator's intent. Are we getting our help from the mall or from Amazon or, or from our materialism to somehow give us enough of a dopamine hit to get us through the day? Are we, are we becoming increasingly surrendered or enslaved to altars of substance, whether it be alcohol or medication, of our kids somehow giving us our sense of worth, of our career defining us, of our personal health? of our 401k. We have built so many other altars and we need to ask the question, no, 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 where does my real help come from? Because we need to seek divine help. Our eyes are just drawn to so many other things that create anxiety and worry, fear and doubt. And with every day, we have a decision to trust and seek or to wander off and retreat. And maybe the worst thing is to stagnate and to quit seeking, to let community pass us by. See, if we're traveling on that road and we let community get ahead of us, we're now more vulnerable than we were before. Again, we are always most vulnerable on our own. And so what we find out of this passage that I think is interesting and worth talking about is that God is present even when we don't see him or take simple things for granted. Listen to what it says and see if this jogs your memory to any other stories. In verse five, he says, the Lord watches over you. So I don't know how many of you logged on today with fear, concern, anxiety about your health, about the economy, uh, uh, about um, racism and civil unrest or this presidential election. Let Let me remind you where your help comes from. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Listen, I live in a a very insulated bubble that is my house and my air conditioning works. I'm not too worried about the sun or the Saharan sand or the moon by night. But if you're in ancient Israel, that is actually a real threat. So let me unpack that. Many times in Psalms, God is referred to as shade, and the Bible speaks of us under the shadow of God's wings. It's very elegant, but promise language. Now, in the desert of Palestine and ancient Israel, daytime temps could go from 60 degrees in the morning uh, at dawn to 100 degrees. So by afternoon near the Dead Sea, it could be upwards of 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And in the summer, clouds are rare and everyone is going to be outside without climate control. So you can understand the the threat of sun. 
So standing in direct sunshine might feel like your skin is burning, but under a tree, the breeze makes it more comfortable, no doubt. Well, they're on a journey towards Jerusalem, and they're having to remind themselves of God's provision. In ancient times, it was thought that just the sun was a source of, quote, the attacks. Now, you could go back to the, 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 the Israelites living, leaving Egypt. They had been in slavery. God was delivering them. And how did he provide for them? There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you go, oh, well, that's nice. No, 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 no. That was more than a party trick. That was a covering and also guidance. There was, there was a cloud that you would stay under and be shielded. God's got this. Well, what do they do? They complain about not enough to drink not enough to eat. They even said, we were better as captives enslaved in Egypt. And so here's this mantra again, as they're taking this journey, this pilgrimage to meet in the presence of God. And the pillar of fire by night would have not only provided lamp and light, but warmth. If you've ever been in the desert in the night, it gets freezing. So this is what makes it so significant. And what, what we find is that God is guiding. God provides. God protects. And they were delivered from all of this, and yet they still complained. And I think the application for us is, even when we don't see God's provision, it doesn't make God less faithful. But we have to take a longer view of who God is, and not just look today and right now for our needs and wants, but to, to, to rest in the promise that God is and has always been faithful in covenant relationship. See, what we find the promise of Psalm 121 is that we never stumble, but that nothing, uh, it's not that we never stumble, excuse me, but that nothing can separate us from God's purposes in us. In fact, I like how Eugene Peterson put it in his book, all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside of it. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. So that's the promise of this psalm. Guard, God guards you from every evil. The only serious mistake that we can actually make when illness or anxiety threatens us, when conflict disturbs us, or relationships uh, have a sort of discord, is to conclude that God has somehow gotten bored with looking after us. Don't let that level of doubt and fear and antagonism towards the Lord get inside you. Confess it. See, Psalm 121 says, the same faith that works in big things also works in little things. The God of Genesis who brought light out of darkness is also the God of this day who guards you from every evil. See, the, the issue isn't, will we struggle? It's always, how will you respond when you do struggle? The issue isn't, will you need God's help? It's, Always, where does your help come from? That's the mantra. That's the prayer. That's the, the hope that we need 
to lean on. See, God's been providing for the people of God all along. And just because it feels like our world, our nation has come unhinged and off its, its axis, God is still watching over us. And so let this be an invitation to draw near. Can I pray with you as then we transition in a time of, of worship again? Our Father in heaven, we want to seek you and we want to ask for your wisdom. You said that we can experience the mind of Christ. And so I pray that we would experience your renewing of our minds, your wisdom gifts. I pray that we would grow in understanding and where our hearts grow faint and weary, where our minds and our emotions betray us. I pray that we would walk with a growing awareness of your presence in our life and help us to be attuned to your faithfulness. And I pray that with each step, we would be asking the question, no, where does my help come from? It comes from the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, not the maker of, <clears throat> of kings or governments or public policy, but we would place our hope and our trust in you and then become agents of your salvation. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>